0: all the time, and it was kind of this constant soundtrack uh, for my life for a few years. But if you'd have asked me anything about what the psalm meant, um, the context, who wrote it, I would have had no clue um, that it was written by David. I wouldn't have known who David was. Um, All that to say, since coming to Christ and following God for a lot of years now, 40 means a lot more to me now than it probably did then. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 40 this morning. It is page 803. And we're going to take a look at the first 10 verses today. Uh, Starting in verse 1, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mud and mire he set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand he put a new song in my mouth a hymn of praise to our god many will see and fear the lord and put their trust in him so it starts off with this what seems like kind of a simple statement i waited patiently for the lord but that's a really hard and profound posture to live out I am not patient for much of anything and then when you throw in a season of disorientation for myself or somebody that I really care about what I really want honestly is just for the pain and the suffering to go away and this theme of waiting has been present in several psalms kind of leading up to Psalm 40 today if you look back at Psalm 37 Psalm 38 David writes, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then 38, 15, he says, Lord, I wait for you. You will answer, Lord my God. And you see the confidence that David has in God's provision, which certainly helps him patiently wait, right? When you can look back over time and see that God's been faithful, that he trusts God's timing, Right, He sees that God's been faithful before. That, that really helps your patience level. <laughs> I waited is actually translated in the Hebrew, it would have said, waiting, I waited. It communicates this expectant waiting, this active waiting. You're engaged in the process. We're praying and we're listening and we're hoping, not just sitting around doing nothing. And when we are waiting and there is no answer, what can we learn in the waiting? Maybe you haven't learned anything, but in theory, (laughs) what would you think you can learn from just waiting? Potential lessons are there for us in that. Yeah. Okay. When I do wait, it's usually a really big reminder of like this is what it is to trust Jesus. Yeah. Not me doing action. Yeah. So there's this trust element to to it, right? I mean part of that is um understanding that his his ways are not our ways, right? And his timing is not our timing, okay? Any other benefits from waiting that you can think of? No. Yeah. yeah, developing patience, uh, and maybe, like you said, you said, kind of getting overwhelmed by the stress is not feeling like it's on us to figure it out, right? Sometimes when it's like, I've got to figure this out, that's that puts a lot of pressure on us, right? Undue pressure, unneeded pressure. Anything else you've learned in the waiting? Yeah. Uh, developing okay. okay. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so learning contentment, she said, kind of managing her expectations, um, knowing that he's good regardless of what is going on at the time. Yeah, Rob? I think, uh, for me, generally, the first inclination is, is my own and generally not of God. So mm. waiting or- Yeah. Yeah, he said, so his first inclination in, in seasons like that is just kind of whatever his own thoughts are, not necessarily what God might have to say or what he would want for that. So we need to create some space, yeah, to listen. A lot of people say that patience is a virtue, right? God, when, when he's describing, Paul's describing love in First Corinthians 13, right, the long list of love is, the first word is love is patient, When Paul talks about in Galatians 5, the fruits of the Spirit, the 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 the, what, what our spirit produces when the Holy Spirit's living in us, one of those qualities is patience. It's something to be developed and grown in us. And David had experience waiting in his life. In God's timing, David says, he turned to me and heard my cry. Other translations say that he inclined himself towards me. He bent down and listened. That's the visual there of the Hebrew word. Like he got down on our level. (laughs) He's close. He's near. He's engaged in our prayers. And then David says, he heard my cry. And this is a phrase that we've seen a lot in the Psalms. this, This crying out to God. And some of us may understand the idea of crying out, like at a referee when they miss a call, or uh, crying out at the other driver who's an idiot and cut in front of you, or crying out when, like Kenny, unlike Kenny, you didn't get Taylor Swift tickets, and so you shake your fist at an unjust world, right? <laughs> we were standing out in the hall before the service, and Kenny's like, I could have like Made like $12,000 selling my tickets last night, and Justin's like, why didn't you? (laughs) You moron. You could have given it all to Wellspring, right? So sometimes we cry out about those things, but maybe not in the context of crying out to God. And I think that there's maybe a couple of reasons why we might struggle with that concept. One, because we don't fully understand the nature of our sin, I think sometimes we don't realize how bad it is and how deep of a pit that we're in and that without God's rescue in our life, we are hopelessly lost and bound for eternal separation from him. We don't realize that our eternal souls hang in the balance and God is the only one that can do something about it. If we did get that, I think we'd cry out for sure secondly we fail to cry out because i think that most of us usually feel like we have the resources and the ingenuity to get ourselves out of most trouble that we get into in life we're not desperate for god's rescue instead we foolishly think that we can kind of handle most of life on our own with just our own strength and wisdom but david knows better What he describes in verse 2 is this kind of visual of being stuck at the bottom of a well. And it's just kind of muddy, slippery, clay walls, no way to find yourself out, no footing that you can get, completely disoriented. And no matter how hard you try or strive to climb up this wall, you just fall back down. It's fruitless. And David doesn't tell us what the pit is. It's pretty generic. And so for us, we can kind of maybe fill in the blank. You know, maybe you are in a pit of financial ruin right now, or parenting troubles, or issues at work, or school, or de- de- uh, deteriorating mental or physical health, or your marriage, or relationships. And how did David say that he got out of the pit? It says that God lifted him out and set him on a rock and gave him a firm place to stand. He rescued him. He didn't just pull him out and leave him on the ground. (laughs) He actually pulled him out and set him down in a safe place. Gave him a chance to move forward in a healthy way. And as I thought about it, guys, it's, you know, just because God brings us out of something, out of a pit, and sets us in a firm place, a safe place, it doesn't mean that we're going to stay there. We could choose to fall right back into another pit if we don't learn something from the situation about ourselves and about God. You know, I talk to my cross-country kids all the time, especially after a race or a workout that was hard, and I say, hey, that can just be an experience or it could be a learning experience. You could actually gain something from it. It reminds me of that clip that's been going around social media for the last few years where that, that boy pulls that little lamb out of that ditch, right, takes a couple steps and does what? Jumps right back in the ditch, right? How we respond to rescue is critical. And David says, not only did God lift me up and set me on solid ground, but he also put a new song in my mouth. David had been singing a lament for a while from the bottom of that pit, but God delivered him and gave him, gave his heart fresh words. Fresh words to do what? What does it say? He put a new song in my mouth. Why? To praise him to praise him. (laughs) I love this quote I came across this week. Don't put it up there yet. Hang on, let me set it up. So the author is talking about this story from his childhood. He said he was about nine years old. And he said he was uh, kind of down in the deep end of a pool. And he got his finger caught in the vent at the bottom, right? And so, yeah, everybody in here is like starting to panic, right? (laughs) And that's what he's like he's like i was you know obviously freaking out i'm like how long you know how much air do i have can i continue to breathe and he just prayed he's like god you know loosen my finger from this and and sure enough his finger popped out and he just frantically swam up to the top you know and get to the top and just take that air in and this is what he said that is the kind of love god wants from us for himself and if he must, he will get it by hiding himself for a season until we crave him like a drowning boy craves air. And when he shows himself again and we come up gasping into his presence, we will sing like never before. All the old songs will be new. And if they are not adequate, we will write our own. What are your thoughts on that quote? Or the the thought behind it. yeah yeah there's something to be gained in the in the seeking right, and the unknown of when that season's gonna end um, yeah, yeah, for sure, other thoughts, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. So he's saying that sometimes we can kind of create our life and create, um, you know, we can orchestrate our life in a way in which we, we try to stay as safe as possible, which which in some ways maybe keeps us from being desperate for him, right? Um, and there's examples in scripture. You know, sometimes when, when we get into desperate situations, it's because we put ourselves there by our own poor choices. Other times... Scripture even has examples and stories of of God kind of orchestrating difficult situations for people because he's jealous for their hearts. And he can see, if I just kind of let you continue to kind of live your life the way you're living it, you're not going to turn towards me. So sometimes he throws a little wrench in there to see if we'll turn towards him, to create some desperation for him so that we can be reminded that we need him thought it was interesting. And as I thought about verse 3, it struck me that we have the ability to sing a new song at any moment. Whether our current circumstances change or not. Because we'll, we've ultimately been delivered from the biggest pit of them all. Right? Every one of us has been delivered from sin and death. We've been rescued by the cross and the empty tomb, and when we take the time to meditate on that never-changing reality, our hearts can turn to praise for Him in the darkest moments of our darkest days. He gives us a song of praise. Uh, sorry, He gives us a song to praise Him. And then what? Look at the, the rest of verse 3. It says, many. Will see and fear and put their trust in him. So he gives us a song as a testimony to his goodness that it will impact those around us. So David's song was a story of redemption. So do we regularly tell God's redeeming stories in our life? Do we pay attention to the movement? The stages of transformation we're going through, the peaks and the valleys. Or are we just kind of stumbling along in our faith? Numb to our own hearts and blind to the hand of God in the midst of our life. Because if we aren't aware and engaged, we probably won't be used to impact others. God's desire is to use our redemptive stories for greater good. And I can't tell you how many times in my my life that my faith has been bolstered by hearing the redemptive stories of somebody else, one of my friends, a family member that shared with me what God has done in their life, like how that's encouraged me. How in times of my own kind of blah, blah, you know redundant sometimes christian journey it's like i need those stories of redemption to remind me oh yeah that's right god's moving and working in people's lives thank you for sharing that let's look at verse four it says blessed is the one who trusts in the lord who does not look to the proud to those who turn aside to false gods many lord my god are the wonders you have done The things you planned for us, none can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. So waiting on the Lord means trusting in him alone. So when we find ourselves in pits in life, who do we trust in? Where do we turn? Who do we cry out to? Is it our parents, our spouse, a sibling, a friend? Where do we turn in our seasons of disorientation? Psalm 27 says this, some trust in chariots and some in horses. In other words, they, they, they trust in, in their strength, their assets, the things that they can see, that they know they have. But it says, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Other people trust in the wisdom that the world has to offer, the proud and the false gods. Second Timothy 4.34 warns us, it says this, "...for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. Guys, most of us want the quick fix. Most of us want the path of least resistance, and the world is full of that stuff. If that's what you want, you're going to find it in abundance. And you don't have to patiently wait for it, and you don't have to cry out in humble desperation for it either. The Bible has so much to say about who we put our trust in i just have a few verses to share with you on that if you could put those slides up there there you go it's better to take refuge in the lord than to trust in humans proverbs 3 5 and 6 you probably heard trust in the lord with all your heart lead on in your own understanding and all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight and then in jeremiah but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in Him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. Has no worries in a year of drought. Never fails to bear fruit. <laughs> Waiting on the Lord means recounting. What do we do? While we wait. In verse 5, David remembers. He counts the things that God has already done in his life. That's why if you've been around here for a while, uh, kind of around New Year's every year, we we write words on rocks. About what God has done for us in the past year. Something that's going to, when I see that rock, I'm going to remember God did that. Right? When we started our church in 2006, everybody that helped us kind of get this thing off the ground all have a rock that just says, remember. And it sits on my bookshelf in my office. And at any point, (laughs) through the ups and downs of the years of doing this church, I can turn around and I can look at that rock and I can tell you story after story after story of what had to happen for us to even be here. The ways that God had to show up and often miraculous ways so the wellspring would even exist. It's why I write down my prayers in journals like this most days so that I can look back and I can see and I can remember the things that I prayed and the ways God answered those things. Those mementos, or Scripture sometimes calls them Ebenezer's, that we just sang about, they remind us that he's been faithful before and it gives us courage then to be patient again in seasons of reorientation we remember david said many are the wonders you have done and and i thought about the miracles that have to happen just for us to exist every day we are barely aware of god's actions on our behalf Even in seasons or moments of disorientation, He's still turning the world. He's still providing the oxygen for that breath you just took. He still made your heart beat just now. He still gave you the mental capacity to take all of that in, the beauty that surrounds us. Every second of our life is a wonder. If we're able to see it that way, if we're able to reframe our story away from what we feel like we're lacking and instead towards what we already have and don't deserve. Do you see how critical that perspective shift is? Away from what we're lacking and towards what we already have and don't deserve. God is doing things for you every single second that you are alive. Let's look at verse 6. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened. Burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll." I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Waiting on the Lord... (laughs) means obeying him to many of the jews at that time the system of animal sacrifice as payment for sins had become kind of this empty religious exercise their hearts were far from god and they were just going through the motions and david had watched that kind of spirit happen when he was serving under king saul i want you to flip back to first samuel real quickly chapter 15 it's page 402 1 Samuel 15. Verse 22. This is Samuel speaking to King Saul. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams for rebellion is like the sin of divin divin, sorry divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry because you have rejected the word of the lord he has rejected you as king sometimes when we hit a rough patch in life we are willing to do anything to right the ship and to alleviate the pain and to silence the noise except obey god if there's a shortcut we'll usually take it there's some way to get my life back on track without having to really Make a lot of sacrifices or maybe reorient myself and obey God in a way that I haven't before, I'll do it. Because character change is much more difficult. And I want you to listen to this because I've said it before, but make sure you hear this. Obeying always comes in direct conflict with our desire for comfort. Obeying always comes in direct conflict with our desire for comfort. And I hope you can see in David's words God's desire to help us. He opened David's ears, it says, so that he could hear and obey. In Hebrew, it would have read like this, ears you have dug out for me. He digs out all that foolish crap we've been putting in our ears throughout the course of our life. All that junk from the world that we've just been absorbing. God, in His graciousness, comes and and begins to dig it out for us so that we can hear Him and turn. He wants us to listen. He wants us to slow down from the grasping and the controlling and the complaining and turning to other voices. You know, as a a parent or a coach or a teacher, when you see a child floundering, you want to look him in the eye and you want to say, listen, I'm going to tell you what's best for you. But in the end, we we all know that they have to choose to listen and obey to reap the benefits of the advice that we're giving them, right? We can say all we want, but it's up to them to do something with it, right? God can tell us, and he does again and again and again, all kinds of great things for our life. But if we don't listen and heed it and put it into action in our life, We're not going to reap the benefits. The rest of the verses, kind of 7 through 10, really talk about this posture towards God that we need to have in, in order to bring about or embrace this season of reorientation. The writer says, here I am. I have come. And so we offer ourselves to God and we move towards him. Okay? We engage. We have this deep desire To do his will. Whatever that means for us. And I love the second half of verse 8. It says your law is within my heart. You guys reorientation. Coming out of disorientation. Comes much more quickly. If we know and trust. God's promises. He uses his word in us if we commit it to memory. If we've committed his word to memory, he can pull that out and remind us what's true. Spending time in scripture every morning sometimes feels like drudgery or a task. But guys, I want you to think of it like this. Time in the word of God is always preparation for something. It's preparing you. For a trial, for a pit that we know is coming someday, maybe today, so that we'll be ready. Paul in Ephesians 6, in that famous passage, he's writing about putting on the armor of God. And this is the next line so that when the day of evil comes, it's coming. When we're blindsided and we're, we're stuck in this pit of disorientation, put that armor on, he says, so that you may be able to stand your ground. You clothe yourselves, he says, with truth and righteousness and peace and faith and salvation and then he says and with the sword of the spirit which is the word of god guys i want you to listen to this sometimes seasons of disorientation come because of the crushing weight of our circumstances right there are some real and legitimate painful things that happen to us in this life to every one of us that's just called being human And none of us can escape those things. That's normal. But I believe that often disorientation comes because we are so easily discouraged and confused and twisted up in our head and our hearts because we don't know the truth. And if we did, We could combat the lies that are coming at us, and we can stay in orientation, oriented towards God and who he is and who he says we are. But because we don't know the word of God well enough, I'm putting myself in that category, sometimes we can be easily discouraged and twisted by the subtle ways that the enemy comes at us to disorient us. We can get lazy and distracted and become easy prey for the enemy to take us out and render our lives and our ministry ineffective. And the final posture that David describes is one of proclamation. When God has intervened and rescued us and done something amazing in our life, we have to give credit where credit is due. You know, we'll, we'll all boast about all kinds of things. Some people boast about the great deal they got, right? You won't believe how much I paid for this, this awesome deal. Some of us will, will boast about um, a new diet that we've been on and the results we've gotten, this new exercise regimen that we're in or this do-it-yourself project that turned out really amazing and you're really proud of it. You want everybody to show or, or we'll boast about our kids, right? Their the grades they made or the sport achievement that they had. But do we have the same passion for proclaiming the works of the Lord in our life? Man, I go to Facebook sometimes, and I see all kinds of things that people boast about. I don't see a whole lot of boasting in the Lord. David says, I don't seal my lips. I don't hide it. I don't conceal it. Instead, I make known your saving help. I tell the whole world What you've done in my life. Because every time we tell the story of God's deliverance, right? Every time I look at this rock and I can tell you how God showed up to create wellspring. Guys, it digs the truth deeper down into our souls every time we tell the story. And it creates for us this anchor, right? What Paul talked about, this standing firm. So that the next time the winds and the calamities of disorientation come, the ship of our lives doesn't just get tossed and battered about because it's tethered to something. You can trust, and that you have experience is trustworthy, and you can rely on. Wait patiently, cry out, trust in the Lord count his wonders, obey his instruction, offer your life, surrender your will, hide his word, proclaim his saving acts, speak of his faithfulness. That's our part. God will turn and hear and lift us out and set us on solid ground. Well, he'll, he'll open our ears and he'll give us a new song so that we might praise him. And make his faithfulness known throughout the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a God that we can count on. You're a God that we can trust. God, I pray that that we would grow in our knowledge of that, that we would give you the opportunity to show up, that we would stop turning to our own devices to our money, to our talents, to our connections, to our wise friends who always have the right answer. And we would turn to you and trust in you and understand that a lot of times the things you ask us to do in seasons of disorientation or just in life in general are counterintuitive they're not going to make sense to us. Sometimes you ask us to obey in ways that just seem so strange. (laughs) And it's because your kingdom is not of this world. You're not playing by the same rule book, (laughs) by the same vision for what really brings life as most of the world is operating by, what most of the world is putting their hope in. So, God, I pray that you would teach us how to wait, how to trust in you. And, God, when you show up and when you deliver, God, I pray that we would tell others about it. God, give us a desire to share your story. Lord, and give us a desire for your word. God, that your word would ground us in what's true, anchor us, that would help us stand firm for the next time that troubling disorientation comes, whether we cause it or the world just blindsided us or, or whatever, but that we'll be able to come out of that into reorientation quicker. Lord, we love you. We thank you that, that you are so for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close?